Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Good morning. So I wrote the message last night in two hours. The first time I preached about four years ago, I wrote my message in eight weeks. Took me eight weeks to write my first sermon. And then over the last four years, God has been training me to trust him more and depend on my notes less. So this is my first three-page sermon. Three pages. I've gone from like 12 pages to three pages. So we're going to be off script a whole lot. Hold on a second. All righty then. So many of you know that I'm, I've been in the very slow program in seminary. I think I've been in seminary for four years. At some point, they'll kick me out if I don't complete my degree. But my plan is to finish December of next year. And when you're in seminary, you read a lot of books. I probably read a book every week or maybe every two weeks, depending on the class. And many of my sermons have come out of what God has been showing me in these books. Like um, when we looked at the courage in the life of Moses, part of my Mother's Day message, looking at Jochebed. When we looked at social justice, that came from a book I read. When we looked at the kingdom of God. So many times I'll read a book, I think that's only like four messages over a few years. So sometimes I'll read a book and it'll just really change the way I think. It'll change my perspective. You know, for, let's see, I'm not good with my history. I'll just say for many, many years, People believed that the earth, that the solar system revolved around the earth. But then Copernicus had the idea, Galileo was labeled a heretic for saying, you know, you need to change your perspective because really the solar system revolves around the sun. That was a heretical thought at the time. The church persecuted him for that. So sometimes we don't know that we're living with a certain perspective until we read what somebody else has to say and we go, huh, I never thought about it that way. So last Saturday, Saturday a week ago, I was flying up to Wisconsin to see my son, help him out with some things, and I use my time wisely in the airport and sitting at the gates and on the planes and I put in my Spanish worship music and when we take off, I'm like, Jesus, I'm ready to meet you now. If I'm coming right now, I'm like, ready, take me. Santo, 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 Gloria, Dios, you know, I'm just blasting it in my ears. But then as soon as we, you know, get taken off and I realize, okay, Jesus, I'm not meeting, meeting you today. In 2020, I was like afraid to fly and now I'm like just flying everywhere. And so as soon as we hit altitude, I get out my book and I start reading. And the book that I had to read this week was called Missional Renaissance. So there are a lot of words in seminary that when I first hear them, I have no idea what they mean. And it takes me a while to get a grasp. Like right now, the word incarnational is really hot, really, really a current word. I still haven't figured that word out. But I have a little bit more understanding of missional, which is not a new word. Some of these books have been around since, you know, early 2000s. So this book was written by Reggie McNeil, and I've written, excuse me, I've uh, read other books by him. My Courage in the Life of Moses came from one of his books. 
And so let's talk today about missional church. Have you ever preached on this, talked about? Yes, but this is missional, which is, it's a little different. A missional church is a little bit of a different kind of church. It is a church where we live like we're missionaries. So we're not just jet setting and going to other countries, but right here in our city, in the things that we do day to day, we are living as missionaries. Here's a couple quotes. One is by Alan Hirsch. A working definition of missional church is a community of God's people that defines itself and organizes its life around its real purpose of being an agent of God's mission to the world. Now, God's mission of the world, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. I do have some scripture to legitimize, so let me go back. Let me just do my quotes, and then I'll get to my scripture. Reggie McNeil in Missional Renaissance says, the missional church is the people of God partnering with God in his redemptive mission in the world. Okay, so what is God's mission? It's all the way back in Genesis. Even in the garden, when, when um, you know, the, the woman is going to crush the head of the snake. You know, from the very beginning, there was enmity between woman and snakes. But, <laughs> but the seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the devil. All the way back in Genesis. And then we see in Genesis 12... There are many promises that God makes to Abram, later Abraham, but in Genesis 12, this is the mission of God, um, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. All that sounds really good, like that's like, yeah, like I'm into that. Bless me, Lord. And you shall be a blessing. So it wasn't just for Abram and his descendants and for the nation. It was so that, so that you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this is the mission of God. It is go and be a blessing. Go. Go, like skedaddle, go, go, and be a blessing. Go and be a blessing. God has a mission, and we get to partner in it. Turning to, you see the mission of God all through the scriptures in the New Testament, in John 20, near the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus said to his disciples, Peace be to you, just as the Father has sent me, so I send you. A missional church is a sent church. It is a church that recognizes that we don't just come, but we go. We're not just drawn to the Lord's presence, but we're sent. We are sent, each one of us, no matter who you are, no matter your education, your economic status, no matter whether you've studied in seminary, no matter whether you've had any training in ministry, no matter who you are, you are a sent one. Because Jesus said, as the Father sent me, Jesus knew he was a sent man. That is a theme in the Gospel of John. He understood his sentness. And he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. 
skedaddle. Go, 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 go. (laughs) I used to do that to my kids. Go, 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 go. And then we, many of you are familiar with the Great Commission. I chose the one just in Matthew for the sake of time, Matthew 28. It says, go, (laughs) go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. So in the missional church, you believe you're on a mission in the world with the Father. In the missional church, the church isn't just a place. The church is us when we go. Wherever we are, the church is there. That is the missional church. It's where we go and we bless the people in our sphere of influence. So I'm doing something a little scary today because I'm talking about the church. And we are the church, right? We're at church. Clearly, we believe in church. I'm preaching at a church. I've been in church since 1992, 1991 when I got saved. Clearly, I love the church. So as I talk about the church, I want you to know that I'm referring to the body of Christ, okay? Sometimes I might remember to say the body of church. You could say the universal church. You could say the Catholic church because that word Catholic means universal I'm referring to the church as a whole, not the Baptist church down the street or Global River Church or the church that your neighbor goes to. So we're not pointing fingers, but we're looking at us. We're the church, so we're going to look at us today. And I might mess a little bit with your thinking, just like Galileo said, hey, does it revolve around the earth? It revolves around the sun. Because a lot of times we feel like God's kingdom revolves around the church. But God's kingdom, it revolves around the world. Now we're part of it. God sent his son to the world. We are part of that. The church, there's those that are saved and those that don't know Jesus yet. All of us make up the world, the church and the unsaved. But God, his heart, his mission is for the world, which means we can't just stay here. So I'm going to talk this morning about a church that focuses in on itself, an interior-focused church, and an exterior-focused church. And I'm going to give you some contrast, and I'm going to ask some questions. And really, I'm not looking for an answer. I'm just causing us to think. Okay, Pastor Tom's going to clean up any mess that I make at the end, (laughs) right? (laughs) I love that we have freedom. You know, I texted him Friday morning, what do you think about the missional church? And he calls me immediately, and I'm telling him what I'm thinking, and he's like, yeah, let's go for it. Let's make a Holy Spirit mess. Let's just, let's go. I love the freedom. My niece, when I was telling her last night in my, she called during that two hours, And I took her call because it was her birthday. My twins, they turned 23 yesterday. And I I was telling her the topic. She's like, what are you preaching about? And and I said, well, what do you think? Because she's not a believer. She's spiritual, but she's not a believer. She only comes to church to hear me preach. And she says, honestly, I think most churches are focused on themselves. And your church 
is actually focused on other people. So she gives us a thumbs up. But as I look at my own life with some of these comparisons and questions, I'm, you know, if you had a spectrum between an interior-focused church and a totally exterior-focused church with me, if I'm looking at Lisa, the church, mm, probably like a 30% focused on the exterior. And I'm gonna, I'll break that down for you. But I don't want to point at a church. I want to point at me and see, wow, I've got 70% room to grow here. This is why God's changing the way I think. So, comparison number one. Are we just church members doing church, act, doing church activities? Is that what we are when we come here? Are we just church members that do church activities? Or are we missionaries on a mission? Makes you think, like, we come together, and it's good to come together. Scripture says don't neglect gathering together. When we come together, we are family. Like, that is the bedrock of this church. It is one of our values. We are family. Why do you need family? Because you have to encourage each other. You do. Um, Rebecca Wetzig, Friday night, she just grabbed my hand, and I just felt so loved and worship at the tent. She just grabbed my hand. And she didn't know how much I needed that, how I needed that unconditional love. But that's what I needed. We come here and we find encouragement. And it gives us the strength to go back out and be Jesus to people that may not deserve Jesus with the way they treat us. They may not deserve our kindness. They may you know, have been ugly to us in traffic, but we go and we're Jesus to them. So are we followers of Jesus living out his mission in the world, or are we just church members that come and express our devotion doing church activities? So is it about being a church member, or is it about being a missionary? Messing with you just a little bit, because it's messed with me. You know, we get our, our idea of the purpose of church from what's been handed down to us, what we grew up with, what we understand about church. But I believe we are more than just being church members, doing church activities. And that's good. That's good. But I believe God wants to stretch us beyond being church members, doing church activities, to be more than that that we're coming here to get equipped, that we're not coming here just to feel good and mark it off for the week. I went to church. I don't have to feel bad about myself. I saw my friends. I had my coffee. They had good cookies in the cafe. You know, that's me. <laughs> I used to carry a Ziploc bag in my purse because I was coming to get those cookies in the cafe. <laughs> I did, right, honey? And Pastor Terry can tell you, he and Jan, see, I've got my connections in the cafe. They know my favorite cookies, and they would save them out for me. That's why you need friends that volunteer in the cafe or volunteer yourself. Get your own cookies. Like, first pick. I would go through the bins with them, like, what you got today? <laughs> but we are coming for more than that. You know, the purpose of the fivefold ministry, which I may be teaching more about, it's kind of out of my wheelhouse, but God has me reading four different books about it, like this week. 
Um, but the purpose of the fivefold ministry is a, to equip you. Now, here's a question. Is it to equip us to use our gifts in the church? It's both. It's not just to equip you to use your gifts in the church. It's to equip you to go and be prophetic in Walmart, to be apostolic at your workplace, to be an evangelist at the gym, to teach, to teach in the schools, to pastor your neighbor who may never darken the door of a church but who was hurting. That's why we come together to be equipped to use our gifts, not just here in the church. It's great if, if you get to use your gifts in the church, but God has more for you than just being a church member. You are a church member. Well, we don't really, I remember uh, Pastor Kenny Arnold when we first came here, what, 15, 17 years ago, I said, do y'all do membership? And he said, you vote with your feet. If you're present, you're a member. <laughs> like, if you're here, you're a member. If you're not, you're not. It's like, okay, I can do that. You vote with your feet. So is it a church member culture? And are we creating church programs to meet your needs? Or are we equipping you? There's a whole attitude shift in what you look at in your church. Are you coming so that we can meet your needs? Now, I'll admit, there are weeks that I come where I am broken and hurting, and I need my friend Carrie to hold my hand up here. If you're broken and hurting, we want to minister to you, okay? I want to make that very clear. But if week and week and week and week, you're just coming to get your needs met and not to be equipped and not to grow and not to eventually mature and be healed, because I was broken when I came here. Like, I don't think I ministered for years. But to get healed so you can be sent out. Like, that is the purpose. It's not like the church doesn't exist just to meet the needs of its members. The church doesn't exist to entertain its members. The church doesn't exist to create programs that you like. The church doesn't exist to feed you. Oh, I just wasn't getting fed at that church, so I left. Now, it's important for you to be challenged and grow, but we should be feeding ourselves at home in God's Word and with worship music and with um, wholesome YouTube videos that are speaking into our lives. Podcasts. I listen to some great Spanish podcast sermons that feed my soul when I'm on airplanes. So... Are we focused on ourselves or are we focused on the needs in our community? And that's a whole shift because I was raised in a church culture where, you know, the church made programs. Like if you had young children, you went to the church with the good youth programs. You know, you, you went to meet your needs and those things are important, especially for children. But, but what's our attitude are we looking for the church just to meet our needs? Or are we coming here to get equipped and to be released and to be empowered? Because if each one of you is a minister. Each one of you has Holy Spirit living in you, waiting to rise up and express itself in your surroundings, in your sphere of influence, 
in your sphere of influence. Not just here. Like, this is not our sphere of influence. This is not the bullseye that God had on his mind when he said, go into all the world. He didn't say just go into the church and use your gifts. He said go into the world. Come here, get equipped, built up, healed, prophesied over, empowered, and go. So it's an attitude of I'm going to come and be blessed versus I'm going to go and be a blessing. So then there's the thought of are we separatist Christians or are we missional Christians? And one of my classmates wrote this. Um, I'm, I'm currently taking a course on leadership in church and ministry. So we're looking at different ways churches operate, different paradigms or methods like fivefold ministry. That's part of the way we function here. But he said separatist Christians tend to live their lives within the walls of the church. Their friend group is very tight, and they do not associate much with those that are lost. They understand the meaning of being set apart and holy, but disregard other portions of Scripture that call Christians to be salt and light. References are 1 Peter 1.16, Matthew 5.13-16. People that engage in this way are true Christians. They love God and seek to live holy and moral lives. They have the revelation of the Christian life, but they don't have the revelation of the Christian mission, which is God in us reconciling the world to himself. And we all had to reply to that, and I just had to acknowledge, you know, for many years, I was that. You know, I got saved. I got ushered into the church. I, we had children, and then they were part of the children's ministry, my daughter was part of a Christian dance troupe. My son went to Christian drama programs. And then we homeschooled. So then we were like a tighter, close-knit Christian community. And before too long, I had like no friends that were non-believers. So often we take that command, the ecclesia, which means being set apart, and we, we seek to be set apart but we cut off any relationship with non-believers. Now, you should cut off maybe the relationships or tighten the ones with your friends that took you out drinking. So I'm not saying just keep going out and being influenced and doing things that aren't healthy for you and that don't honor God. But when we cut ourselves off by being drawn in to the church, and being so involved in church things that we get cut off, then who are we influencing? Who are you, in, like, who are we influencing when that happens? And I know we say, you know, just go be salt and light at the grocery store, and we do that. But I think the most profound way to influence someone is in relationship. And when we cut ourselves off from every relationship with a non-believer because we're in our holy huddle with all our Christian friends, is that really what God wanted us to do? I don't know. Like, I'm just look, looking at my life and seeing I really pulled in to the point where I had little influence other than my friends at the grocery store and at the garage and, you know, my hairdresser. 
So we need to be careful that we don't just pull into that holy huddle and cut off all of our non-Christian relationships. Thank you. Okay. So are we an attractional church or a missional church? In an attractional church, our goal is to attract to attract the non-believers into our church services so that they can be saved. Like we're, we think that we're just going to be a magnet, and if we just have the best programs and the best social media and the big sign on the street and maybe the tent every now and then, that everyone is just going to come in and get saved. And we're just sitting here waiting. <laughs> you know, we've got our gift bags, and we've got our good programs and great children's ministry, and we're just waiting. How's that working for us? There are many people who will never darken the door of a church. And we're waiting for them to come. And some of them are not going to come. They're just not. And so we have to be the sent ones and leave our holy huddle and go to them. We can't just be the attractional church just waiting for everyone to be attracted inside these doors. We have to be the missionaries that go to where they are. That means that in your workplace, at the garage, in the gym, everywhere we go, we're living like missionaries. I'm starting to think, okay, in my realm of influence, where do I have influence to speak into the lives of people that will never come to this church? And my thought was, Facebook. If you've ever followed me on Facebook, I don't have a large following, but for a long time I did videos, and the people that would comment on my videos, they were the drug addicts. They were, some of those people are no longer alive because they were the drug addicts. There are people that will never come into this church, but because they know me, they'll watch me speak on Facebook. What am I doing to engage them? Now, honestly, I've just been hiding away because <laughs> it is hard because when I'm on Facebook and y'all know I, I like I share too much, I overshare, but that's what God's called me to do. And the way I reach those people is by saying, y'all, I'm just like you. Like I don't tout my education or I don't say I'm a preacher woman or I say, y'all, I was fit. I mean, just to be honest, I had a suicidal thought this week. And that's the kind of things I tell them. Y'all, I thought about killing myself this week. Pastor Tom, I did well. I let it go through that Holy Spirit filter, and it went right on out. But just to be honest, you know, those are the kinds of things I share. I share different things with them than what I say in front of y'all, but I have influence there. How am I stewarding my influence? How are you stewarding your influence? Where are there groups of people that will never come to church that you can influence? I've learned the power of that word, influence. That's what we're after. We want to influence. We want, we want the privilege of being able to influence people. And if we're just sitting in here all the time, we can't in, we're not influencing non-Christians. 
So where can God use you to influence people? Where can you be a blessing? Um, this book that I was reading, it said the, the, pa- the pastor that wrote it said he challenges his congregation every week, go and bless three people this week, even if they don't deserve it. How can we go and be a blessing? He says, you know, a lot of times we'll say, how can I pray for you? But we can say, how can I bless you today? Or how can I pray for God to be a blessing in your life today? And that's a way, again, to start a spiritual conversation. But we're to go and be a blessing. We never know. So my son, when, I was, when I got to Madison last week, I was talking to my son about everything I'd been reading all morning, and I just asked him, you know, what do you know about the missional church? And he said he had never heard of it. But I started explaining it to him, and I said, you know, churches like this, they don't measure their success by, now this, just hold on, <laughs> Pastor Tom will clean up any messes. They don't measure their success by church attendance or program participation or the tithes and offerings, but they measure it by their influence outside the doors in the community. Like, how many community service hours are they logging? Can you believe that? And I'll be honest, like, I am, I am like a rule follower, and I can tend to be legalistic. I can. I'll just be honest. And I'm sure there are times in my life where I've seen, where I've known that people weren't in church, and I thought, well, they should be here. Well, what if they're out ministering with vigilant hope and sharing the gospel and doing the Isaiah 58 fast and giving the bread to the hungry and bringing the homeless poor into the house? Well, are they in sin? Or are they being kingdom-centered and not always just church-centered. So how do we measure our success? Numbers, participation, tithes, or influence? It's how do we measure the success of the church? When a pastor sits with another pastor, do they just say, how's your church doing? You know, how are your programs? What are your numbers? How are you growing? Or are they saying, how are you influencing your community? I know what my pastor would say. I do. I know his heart. I mean, clearly the numbers aren't the bottom line if we're giving away 17 to 20% of our tithes and offerings. So what measures our success? And my son said that in his church, every fourth Sunday now, instead of coming together, and, you know, can see the attendance. They're participating. They're taking up tithes and offerings. They're having a community service day. Like, what is that? Like, they're canceling the church service so they can go and be the church to their community. They can go be the church to people that will never come through their doors. Now, I'm married to the church treasurer. I'd be like, well, what about the tithes and offerings? You know, that's going, to be a, that's going to be like one of those summer months or one of those four Sunday months versus the five Sunday months. Like, what, well, what do you do? 
Well, people keep coming back. You know, if you miss a week when you're doing a certain Bible study series, you know, you lose people. Well, what is our measure of success? And in this church, one of the pastors canceled his small group and said, we're going to meet at the music at the park. And I'm like, wow. He said, wear your chosen shirts, whatever that is, and we're going to go to the park with our community, and we're going to be a blessing. That's different for me, y'all, because my first thought was, well, what kind of music are they playing at the park? Like, that's the way my brain thinks. It might not be, like, consecrated holy music. Now, I know there are lines, like, you know, there are lines. I'm not, yeah, if it's, like, hard rock, whatever. But we can be around people that aren't sanctified, holy, set apart like us, because that's the mission of God, to go and be a blessing to them. We can just rub that stuff off later. But that's what we do. We're to go and be a blessing, which means we have to rub shoulders and rub elbows with people that don't know Jesus yet. Because that's how we have influence, not just by coming in our holy huddle. I am at the bottom of my four pages. Well, it was three pages when I put it in 14-point font so I could actually see it up here. Stretched to four, just to be honest. So that is what I have, and um, Pastor Tom is going to take it from here. But really, you know, the scriptures that I shared at the beginning, that's the thus saith the Lord. Everything else is just some things for you to think about, ponder, look at how you've viewed church, kingdom, maybe membership versus influence coming together for church activities versus going out into the community. Look at areas in your life where you can reach people that won't come here. And so the rest of that is just food for thought. It's, I know I'm holding the microphone, Pastor Tom gave me permission, but I'm just saying those are just things that I'm trying to figure out myself and processing and just wanna get you thinking about it too. And um, with that, I'll turn it over to Pastor Tom. Obviously, we didn't compare notes, but would you open to Matthew 28? That was the first on my list here. Did Jesus say, go and make save people? <laughs> Hello? Yeah. Uh, did he say that? Or I mean, there's nothing wrong with being saved, right? No. So we know that he said, Matthew, the Great Commission, right? I often say this. It's not the great suggestion. And a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, right, I talked about the judgment of the believers. And so one of the things you'll stand before him in is, what did you do with your talents? And so what he said here in verse 18, Matthew 28, uh, 18, he said, he came to his disciples and he told them, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always even to the ends of the earth. 
King James says in verse 20, teach them to observe all the things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. So there's something about um, making disciples who are equipped that can do the works of ministry. We've shared that on Wednesday nights, right, at Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And so there's something about equipping the saints to do the works of ministry. Um, someone tell me the church vision. Don't look at your bulletin, even though it's there every week. But so I'm, um, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm hearing a lot. Love God, love people, and walk in the spirit, right? Okay, now look at your bulletin. Um, so we, there needs to be, it needs to be more than just uh, rhetoric uh, on the sign. So this loving God, first of all, you know that that's the great commandment, right? The two great commandments, love God and love people. And so, and then he talks about with all your might, soul, spirit, strength. So if you do a self-analysis of how well are you loving God? I told you that one is like, yipes, God. How well are we loving people? (gasps) And how well are we walking in the spirit? And then the rest of it, the five points there is just, how do you put rubber to the highway on loving God, loving people, and walking in the spirit? And so high emphasis on exalting worship. That's why some people say, man, you guys go and do long worship. We left here 1.30 last week, right? And it's like, and there are those that will get um, turned off by that, I suppose. And, and I, I get it. We can go long. But there's something about uh, exalting God in worship because worship is not about us. It's about him, right? And so learning how or encouraging people to get into the presence of that, that's bullet number one is exalt God. That's worship. Gather the family. Um, a lot of folks like to have the, the emphasis on family, but really family. Are we will in fellowship. Training, equipping, high emphasis. Ministry, if you look at, I, I, I love being around, I had lunch with these 25, 30 pastors, and I didn't get, obviously, to meet with all of them, but there were what I would call some of the really influential pastors in the city. And um, when you say, well, so, Pastor, how you doing? And they say, we love that your people are at First Fruits, Vigilant Hope, House of Mercy, when they start literally laying out in the jails, when they start telling me, your people are here, man, I get really, really excited, right, when we're out and getting electrocuted right now. And so um, that, that honors uh, the Lord. And what you value, you will, you will count, you will measure, right? I can't remember the last time I counted how many people are in church. It's, it's really... Um, it's just not a, a, a metric that I, I'm excited about. So when we look at where is God taking us as a, as a body of believers, I want you to turn back to Peter with me. Let's look at First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. First Peter 4.10 says this. Let me read King James in New Living, but it says, King James says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another 
as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him with the ability that God gives, that all things may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom praise and dominion forever and ever. New Living says it this way, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory to him forever and ever. It was probably about six, eight weeks ago. Loretta, you could help me. But we remember we did a spiritual gifts test. We handed it out, said, take the test. I think I got seven back. That was it. Um, so I don't know if you took the test, but the, the purpose was to make sure you understood what are, what are the gifts that God has given you so that you can know that that's my strength, that's where I should be serving. And then stepping out. Now, I know I'm poking the bear a little bit here, but I, I'm poking all of us because we, we want to be a, um, a church. On Thursday nights, there's a reason you kind of look at the method that's here. Wednesday night is an equipping time. We just spent five weeks in training the ministry team to be able to be ones who could lead people to salvation. Then the next week was how do you pray, how do you pray for healing? Then what is it that's in prophecy? How do you what is the gift of prophecy? And then we're going to spend the next four, maybe five weeks on deliverance because what we're finding is every Friday night in the tent, when a flyer goes out, it says, if you're suicidal, if you're depressed, come. And I don't know how many thousands, 50,000 numbers went out all over the place. So people are coming and every week we're doing deliverance in the tent. And so now that should not be spooky to you, right? Matthew, uh, Mark 16 says this. If you're a believer, these signs should follow you. This convicted me. When I was a year pastoring 24 years ago, came here first, first year after I resigned from being in GE, and I read that and I said, these signs will follow them that believe. Cast out demons in my name. Yipes. Lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. Handle deadly things without harm. I did a reflection in the mirror and said, if I'm a believer and Jesus says that's his metric, then why am I not doing those things? I need to find out how to do those things. Where do I go to find out how to do those things? And so Randy Clark came, says we're going to Brazil. We're going to see things there. I said, well, we're going. And the rest, if you read my book, the rest is history there. And that was the open door to what happened. And then that same year, I think we made three mission trips. You know, I made 11 trips into Brazil. But then we started going to Mozambique four times, Israel, Argentina, Costa Rica, Europe, I don't know, 29 some odd mission trips. But when we were in Mozambique, this is where God broke my heart for the poor and the broken. We were in a place in Mutarara where the Zambezi River had overflowed the banks. 50,000 people were displaced. Heidi Baker organized pastors and leaders, bring money, come, let's bring food into the places where the refugees are starving. We got on a a flatbed truck with a missionary from, from uh, Germany, Mama Tonikin, and my wife and I, we went eight hours on a flatbed truck into the boons of Mozambique. Don't get out here and step off. There are landmines from the revolution. Stay on the pathway here. You could get blown up. I'm like, okay, we are not in Kansas anymore, Toto, and I don't know. This is my mission trip. I traveled with GE in many places, you know, $400 a night hotels in Tokyo and all. 
this is not that. One dollar hotel in Mutarara where the door did not work, the electric light was two wires that I don't know how you connect them at night in the dark without getting electrocuted, and so there, there was no power anyway. And it's like the feces that were in there, my wife never complained. We set up the cardboard, the bugs went out, we put our stuff together. That night was a night where God said, so how you doing, rich man? And the next morning, Heidi and Roland Baker came in, and we gave out all the food within eight hours. And here's the man with, you know, provision, always had plenty. I said, well, we got to get more food. These people are starving. You see the bloated bellies? The drinking water out of the dirt that's five feet from the Zambezi River, scooping it out by filtering through the sand, and they're all there sick, and they're dying, and we, we got to get, get more stuff. Roland said, we don't have any more stuff. There is no more money. And tomorrow you're preaching and you give him Jesus. I said, what are you talking about? And then they would bring the babies to my wife. They wanted a white woman to pray for the babies. And I told God, I said, as long as I live, we'll never change the story on missions again. If I ever have influence, we will be a mission-sending church. And God just broke our hearts and so I'm asking you to get a vision for your own heart. What are you called to do? And it can be to your neighbor next door. This doesn't have to be large calls. The measurement stuff, you need to be you. My wife has this thing hanging on our refrigerator. Be you, everybody else is taken. Stop trying to compare yourself. Try, stop trying to make comparisons of whether you're fruitful. Just Take the gift that Peter says you have and go do it and start small. Just So we're going to help this morning. There has been so much last week, that whole message about what Chester had, and I really trust Chester's heart. Chester Starling was the founding elder here when this church planted. Chester, just wave at me. And so part of the Vineyard Planting Church, when Steve Mattis planted the church, and so when Chester said, I've had this desire that I wanted to have this tapestry made because the revival train is coming. And then you hear all these prophetic revelations that have come. Debbie Davis had a dream, was it May 1st, about the train and the tickets. We shared this last week. This week, Patricia King, go online. I've sent to some of you. Go online May, on June 10th. The glory train is coming. If you remember the prophetic word from, the, from Be Becca Greenwood when we went to the revival meeting, what, eight weeks ago? We just had our seventh or eighth Friday night meeting. She said the glory river is, the global river is going to be a glory river. So there's these, these breadcrumbs that are being thrown at us. Now, uh, Patricia King gets up and says, man, we've been here in the train was, can you blow that thing? I know it's weird, but let's just, let's just do it, right? And so she brought her train whistle this morning. <laughs> All aboard, right? All aboard. So the, the dreams that Reverend Patricia King said, look, we've been hearing this. She heard the train whistle, and she said, the glory train is coming. The question will be, what track are you on? There's two tracks. There's the devil track, and there's the God track. And I have a, a sense, you know, it's like 
the track, there's two of them, right? And it's like all this goodness and blessing, and then there's all these trials and tribulations. And they seem to be running side by side. So I'm just inviting you. Get your ticket on the train. First, it's Christ. That's the ticket in, right? You have to have Jesus. But then it's, you can't just sit on the train and let the train, uh, what, did, what did Parker Green say a couple of weeks ago? Sometimes we're so satisfied following the lion tracks that we won't see the lion. We're just satisfied. It's kind of like when they were praying for Peter right after James was killed and Peter's in prison and they're gonna, Herod's going to kill him the next morning and the church goes into deep intercessory prayer and the Lord unlocks because of the prayers of the saints. The, the angel comes and unlocks the prison door. Peter comes out and knocks on the door. Rhoda goes to the door and says, Peter's here. Doesn't even let him in. Peter's here. And uh, she goes, no, 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 we're praying for him. Are we praying or are we believing? What are we doing? So this is not to bring condemnation. It's never intention. Because Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But there needs to be conviction. And I'm asking for all of us to get before the Holy Spirit and ask him to show us, where am I being a missionary? Those doors out the back here are the mission of the world. And so to facilitate that, Chester bought a whole bunch of these. I like it. It's, it's uh, a man in the arms of Jesus, and it's a forgiveness thing for someone you could give that is not saved. I would like you, this is obviously voluntarily, take one of these, two of these, and this week you pray for a divine appointment. Pray for a divine appointment. God set me up. I'm available. Show me someone, and then show me how to, and it could be your neighbor. It could be someone in the grocery store, just if you will take a step into that, I guarantee you he will open a door for you. We were in, uh, is, is John and Becky Jasky here this morning? We were all in, they, they, we were all up in uh, Pennsylvania this week, and uh, the Jasky said, let's go out. So it was Pastor Willie, myself, and Katie, and Becky, and John, and, and we're in um, Isaac's restaurant, and we're at a Signs and Wonders conference, and I'm like, okay, Lord. So the waitress, the, the server comes up. Uh, I won't use her name, because uh, just, but anyway. I asked her her name, and the Lord, I said, Lord, do you have anything you want me to ask to share with her? So she serves us, comes back very pleasant. I said, um, I said we, I'd like to pray for you. We're here with pastors. I'd like to pray for you. Is there anything that's a heart's desire? She goes, oh, whoa, I am not spiritual at all. I don't know anything. She's probably 20, 21, I guess. And I said, I said, that's okay. What's the desire of your heart? Whoa, I got I to gotta think about that. I said, well, okay, we'll take your time. Before we leave, I want you to come back, and we want to pray for you. So she comes back, and she said, um, I said, are you ready? She goes, yeah. Um, I want my family to be happy. I said, that's a really good desire. You know what? God wants you to have that. Could I ask you to do this? We're going to pray for you. Could you just do this this week? If God is real, pray that he would show you he's real. Wouldn't you like to know if he's real? Wouldn't you like to know he's real? Yeah. Yeah. I said, okay. And we prayed, and she smiled. And so I'm just, it can be so, um, it doesn't have to be spooky. Come Thursday night. Wednesday night's the equipping. Thursday night is outreach to evangelism right? And so come to be part of that. Go out, Walmart, wherever, but 
Don't wait just maybe for Thursday night. Recognize we're carrying the glory. And there's an opportunity to share. I got convicted on, uh, at the meeting. There's a real, I want to land this. Um, and I haven't even talked to anybody really about it. I mentioned this briefly to my wife. But there is a um, real housing crisis. There are people that are, we see them at the House of Mercy ministry. We probably average 50, 60 families a week to come to House of Mercy. And the food bank is, they're having less and less food provided. Let me just put it that way. And so that's why bringing stuff that we can get, I don't know why the food banks are closing down. I know that there's stuff that's challenged there. But we have a housing crisis, and in order for people to get out of poverty, when you see a mom living with her kids in a car, trying to get out of a situation or just brokenness, bad choices, the reality is we as a body of believers have the ability. So I have the statistics here about we are 97 out of 100 counties as far as how bad housing is and the ability to buy housing here. Is that right, Judge? All right. And so, and I have the statistics here if you'd like. And there are different organizations that are working to help with that. But someone can't get out of poverty if they spend all of their money consumed in rent and it's greater than 30% of their income. And you look at the, the, uh, the household income and broken families and situations there and the, compounded by all of the, it's, it's a mess. We are the light and we are the salt. So I said, Lord, I don't, you know, I know what happens when we invest $2,500 in Nepal in the Himalayas and we build a church and the village of 300 starts coming. And then we buy a buffalo and we slaughter the buffalo and we invite him to come and hear the message and then they get saved and that whole village converts. That's the story of the gospel. Meet them where they're at. And so I said, well, you know, we, we, we've had a halfway house. Pastor Terry has helped manage that in the past. We've had people... Doug, who's running the camera, is a product of coming out of that brokenness. If you've heard his testimony, now married, and he's one of the evangelists. He's like the Philip in the book, right? If you ever sit around Doug, if you're not saved, you're going to get an opportunity to get saved, right? Right, Doug? Amen. All right. And so whether you're in the gym or the car wash, you're going to, right? And so, so what's, the, what's the point? I just felt like, you know what? I don't know where this is going. I don't know how long it will take, but... Um, I wrote the first check this morning. I didn't even tell my wife we were doing this, but I, I know she'd be good with it. Somewhere in here I have a check, I thought. Well, there you go. Oh, here it is. What I'd like to do is we're either going to rent or buy. We're going to buy or rent a house, and we're going to, I don't know how long it'll take us to do it. Um, we're going to ask the Lord to open the door for us. And he will show us who is it that needs help right now. Who can get a leg up on this thing that we can, we can invest in this city. And so anyone that would like to at any time, obviously we're going to create, I'll ask our bookkeeper to create a House of Mercy house. It'll be a House of Mercy house. And we'll just see what the Lord does with that. And so... When you, you get home and you want to pray about it, you want to do it this morning, however you want to do it, you want to regularly give to it, just start doing a, an offering. Yeah, I just want to say that it's, it's been impressing on my heart for years as I see the homeless in our community. Um, I see them 
in court all the time. I see them on the streets. Um, and I'm compelled to give. I don't care. You know, you, don't have, you can't worry about why a person is standing and asking for money. If, if God has blessed you to have it, give it. Because it's between that person and God. Um, but but um, he's impressed on my heart for years. And, and I've, seen, I've seen myself um, a part of building apartment buildings for the homeless. So I just want to say, you know, dream bigger for this church, not just a house, but apartment buildings, a community. Amen. My wife does this all the time. She, she has, puts clothes in the car to bless them. Or I, I noticed this thing on our credit card. I, I noticed, how could you spend that much money at Arby's and, and, and McDonald's? She goes, oh, well, I stopped and I invited some folks that were homeless to come have lunch with me. So we can be, these, we can be the light. It doesn't, it just be the light, right? Don't be compelled by any stuff other than let's just be the light. So let's stand. Um, I want to invite you to come. If, I want to ask if you would, if you would like impartation. We, we got an impartation this weekend. Fancy word for the Lord just wants to impart a heart and a gifting. And if that's you, why don't you just grab a hand across the sanctuary and I just, want to in, I just want to pray that the Lord would release an impartation for his heart, for the city, for the broken. We've heard the challenge. I believe it really is the Lord, the way this whole thing got shifted around. That we, we want to be a missional church. We want to be a church that carries the light and the gospel right here right, and, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We've done that. We've been to the far corners but he, there's corners right here. Some people can't go, maybe, out of the country. But you certainly can be to your neighbor next door. And then would you pick up one of those little cards as a reminder. Put it on your dashboard. Put it and say, Lord, as I get in my car or this morning, put it in your Bible, however you do it. And just say, Lord, show me this week. Who's the one I can touch? Who can I pray for? Remember, one will plant one will water and one will harvest. Even if you get rejected as the planter, it's okay. You plant the seed, right? And you just sometimes just living out loud. My son-in-law's back there. Both of them are. It's Mike's birthday. Praise him. Hi, Mike. Happy birthday. But my son-in-law, Juan, is back there. And, you know, we, we go to a hunt club. I know I'm diversing from it. But we go to this hunt club, and his guys came over. Some guys that he works with came over. And we're just hanging out at the farm and talking, and one of the guys started swearing. And he came and made a point later of finding Juan and apologized. Would you please tell your father-in-law, I'm sorry that I was swearing. I was like, I, I didn't go, you know. You know, any, yeah, I was in the Navy, okay. I, I, yeah, anyway. My point is, you will carry a culture of life in you that will bring conviction or a call if you'll just live it. So, Lord, I pray right now for an impartation. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would release an anointing that breaks yokes. Father, anything that has brought fear, insecurity, anxiety, not bold enough, not powerful. No, it says, Paul says, we are not ashamed of the gospel. 
It is the life unto salvation. It is the power unto salvation. So, Lord, I thank you that divine appointments this week, Lord, our hearts is for you. Our hearts are for the broken. So, God, we thank you. Except for the grace of God, we're all there. Many of us have been in some of those hard places. Some are still. God, I pray an impartation of your heart that the vision to love God and to love people and to walk by your spirit would be the reality of this tribe, this family. God, I thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. God bless you all. Don't forget, Wednesday night, we're going to start deliverance training. Um, probably the last session, I may show a, an eye-opener video. I can't live stream it, so it's not for the weak at heart. Anyway, praise the Lord.